Welcome to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast, the show where brilliant professionals share how to sharpen the universal skills required to flourish at work. Enjoy more career fun, wins, meaning, and money with your host, Pete Mikaitis. Hello, and thanks so much for joining us here for episode 341 with Joe Navarro. I think you'll love this chat with Joe because we're tackling a subject, body language, that is subject to a lot of stuff that you might not fully believe versus a credible source of information. And Joe is perhaps the most credible source of information on body language. Having done interrogations for dozens of years with the FBI, he he knows a thing or two about observing body language and, and share some cool stories and very applicable pro tips for how to apply that in work and life, so good. So you'll learn one, why it's so hard to tell if someone's lying, two, four key reliable body language cues, and three, the one good mannered behavior everyone should know and use. So if you'd like to take a look at the show notes or the transcript or the links to items that we've referenced here, it's on over at awesomeatyourjob.com slash ep341. And here's Joe's story. For 25 years, Joe Navarro worked as an FBI special agent in the area of counterintelligence and behavioral assessments. Today, he's one of the world's leading experts on nonverbal communications and lectures and consults with major corporations worldwide. He's an adjunct professor at St. Leo University and frequently lectures at the Harvard Business School. So thanks to Agent Joe Navarro for investigating our show and, and thanks to our sponsors. Check them out. It's a trying time that challenges all of our basic assumptions. However, one thing that brings us all together is our common humanity. Now more than ever, teams must come together and work together to solve big challenges. And Trello is here to help. Trello, part of Atlassian's collaborative suite, is an app with an easy-to-understand visual format plus tons of features that make working with your team functional and just plain fun. Teams of all shapes and sizes and companies like Google, Fender, and even Costco all use Trello to collaborate and get work done. With Trello, you can work with your team wherever you are, whether it's at home or in an office. No matter what device you're using, computer, tablet, or phone, Trello syncs across all of them. So you can stay up to date on all the things your team cares about. Keep your workflow going from wherever you are with Trello. Try Trello for free and learn more at Trello.com. That's T-R-E-L-L-O dot com. Trello dot com. Here is Joe. Joe, thanks so much for joining us here on the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast. Yeah, it's great to be here, Pete. It's a long time coming. Oh, yeah. Well, well I'm super excited that uh, I've been a fan of your work from afar for, for a good long time. And, and so now here we are. But first, I want to hear about how you got a pilot's license when you were 17. Is that even legal or, or, or what's the backstory here? Uh, I don't know how you dug, dug that up, but um, not many people know that. That's that's true. You know, it, it was a funny thing. A, a lot of people make fun of uh, our school systems, uh, public schools in particular, but I was fortunate to go to a public school where the science class that was offered was aeronautics. No, no kidding. <laughs> No, it was great. It was in uh, Miami, Florida, and you could uh, you could study uh, ground school, basic uh, ground school. And I took that uh, when I was sixteen, and then once I uh, turned seventeen, then I could begin to uh, to take flight lessons, and uh, and I did. Which you say, well, what do you do with that? Well, interestingly enough, when the uh, when the FBI came uh, looking for me, 
that was one of the things that um, that set me apart. Interesting. So, so during your time in the FBI, did you do some piloting? Yeah, you know, in, in the bureau, you uh, you wear a lot of hats, and um, the first. Uh, Four or five years, it, it was pretty much uh, about learning uh, the, the business of being an FBI agent, working counterintelligence. But um, long about the fifth or sixth year, there was a real shortage of pilots, and uh, we used uh, aircraft for, sur- for surveillance, and uh, they knew I, I had a license. And uh, so um, so I did. I, I got somewhere around 2,000 hours. Uh, oh, cool. Yeah, yeah. So it was it was pretty nice. Oh, that is cool. I, I have very little piloting experience, but I had a buddy who had a little um, four seater Cessna uh, in San Francisco, and so I, I've only piloted for like five minutes. But part of it was over the Golden Gate Bridge, and it, it seems like that'd be hard to top. It was just breathtaking. Oh, it's you know, it's it's just a lot of fun. Once you get up to altitude and you can relax, you're not worried about other aircraft. It really does give you a different perspective on the world. And I used to take the airplane over to Miami Beach and and fly along the coastline. And I, uh, you know, it was, you know, you're 17 years old and you say, this is pretty good. This is is bad. (laughs) It was was fun. Oh, that's awesome. Well, so you, you've written uh, 13 books now and, uh, and we're a special agent with the FBI and uh, are, are quite an authority on body language. So I want to get into some particulars of, of body language signals and how to, how to read it, what to do with it. Uh, but first I'd love it if you could set the scene for us with some, some drama. We had, um, Chris Voss on the show and I'm just going to go out on a limb and say FBI agents are a great, um, make great podcast guests if we're, we're two for two so far. So yeah, I asked him if he could uh, give us a dramatic tale, uh, to kick us off. So I'll put you on the same spot. Can you think of a time where, Boy, uh, a body language signal or insight, you know, just sort of changed the whole story for an interrogation or an investigation or something you were working with. Yeah, one of the uh, one of the books that I uh, that I wrote was uh, Three Minutes to Doomsday, and in that book, I talk about this uh, this individual who was willing to cooperate or, or seemed to want to cooperate with the FBI, but he was hiding a lot of information. And so when we asked him to come forward and tell us the truth, because uh, he didn't really have uh, all the access to classified material that we knew had been stolen, he said he wasn't going to reveal their names. So one of the things that we decided to do, since we understood body language, was to basically not trick him into revealing it, but getting him to reveal it at a subconscious level. And what we did was we wrote the names of everybody that could possibly be involved on a three-by-five card. And as we showed him each three-by-five card, we said, will you tell us a little bit about what their personality was like? What he didn't realize was that when you see something that can hurt you, your pupils squint. And his pupils and uh, and his eyes squinted on two names of the 32 that we presented. And so then we uh, sent agents out with the Army to uh, uh, two military bases, one in Alaska, one in Georgia. And um, on the two names that uh, he squinted, both of them confessed. 
Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, so, That's good. So what's interesting, Pete, is he, he wasn't lying. He said, look, I'm not going to tell you anything. What he didn't know was how he was going to react. Yeah. Uh, and we know from studies of, uh, of uh, babies, eight, nine months old, when they see somebody they don't like or they see something that uh, is not pleasing to them, uh, oftentimes they, they will squint, turn away, or their, their pupils will actually constrict. Oh, I've, I've got a little seven-month at, oh, at home. I hope that he doesn't do that to me shortly. <laughs> <laughs> no, they, that will come. Daddy, I'm tired years. of you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Pete, you got 14 years. So. <laughs> Oh, cool. Uh So so your your latest here is called the Dictionary of Body Language. Sort of how would you you frame or position this one in in terms of kind of the the main idea and how does it kind of fit into your your, your opus and uh, and, and the catalog of of the other books? Well, that's a great question, Pete. And um, it, it was one of these things where when I wrote What Everybody Is Saying, which became the number one selling body language book in the world uh, years ago, and it's, it's been at the top for the last eight years, there were only 140 behaviors in there. And um, two years ago, I was talking to my agent, uh, Steve Ross, uh, at, um, at Abrams, and um, he said, you know, I'm looking at your book, uh, and I said, well, I hope you're learning something. <laughs> uh, and he said... It, is, is he kind of said, is that all there is? And I said, no, that's not all there is. And he says, well, how many behaviors do you think are important uh, and, and we should know about? And I said, well, the problem is, is, you know, how do we write it? There's many behaviors. So I said, let me look through my notebook. So I've been keeping notebooks on behavior for years and years and years. And I, so I, I went through and I said, um, well, I've got about 600 in here, you know, and he said, well, you know, let's talk about it. And we talked about it and then we reduced it down to just over 400 because some of them replicate because they're, they're similar behaviors. And, uh, he said, have you ever thought about, uh, writing a book, but making it like a field guide where you can quickly uh, look something up and there's a paragraph and it says, you know, if, if you see this, then uh, you can interpret it this this way. And so he liked the idea. He took it to uh, HarperCollins, and HarperCollins said, you know, this would be a, a great uh, follow-on to go from 140 behaviors to, to over 400. And so that was, uh, uh, yeah, there, there is your opus, Pete. Yeah, well, that's cool. That, that's cool. Well, um, Oh, so good. Well, I, I loved uh, what everybody is saying, and uh, and I am looking forward to getting into all the more depths of uh, the dictionary of body language. So, well, thank you for writing it. it it's just uh, it's just fun. Well, so I've got a, a ton of things I'd, I'd love to to dig into, and, and and so maybe I'd like to hear your your take on so when it comes to sort of gauging people's true intentions, and, and I know that's one of like the juiciest areas of, um, of the body language stuff. It's like, how do I know when someone's lying? That, that seems to be uh, popular for your, your poker books, uh, as well as, uh, I, I don't know, maybe sort of untrusting uh, partners <laughs> or, or any number of contexts. So, uh, so, so why don't we go with that first? How do you get to the bottom of, of uh, people's true intentions and, and whether they're being honest with you? Well, 
I knew you were going to hit me with this because you always ask uh, profound questions. Oh, Let, let's uh, <laughs> let's divide it up because when we're talking about intentions, for instance, uh, you're talking to somebody and uh, their right foot uh, begins to orient towards an exit. Mm-hmm. Usually, we begin to communicate. Uh, I have to leave with our feet before they even look at their watch. Before they say anything, we show intentions by foot orientation we show intentions such as i really like that cake by literally leaning towards it and and, you know you see that in courtship behaviors i've certainly uh, sat at at enough uh, cafes and bars studying uh, individuals and you can tell that uh, whether when they're interested in each other but the more profound question is well what about detecting deception and I have to say, both uh, both as someone who has been intimately involved in the um, in all aspects of forensic interviewing and in doing research uh, for the books and uh, for teaching, that as uh, Dr. Mark Frank at University of Chicago says, there is no Pinocchio effect. There is really no single behavior indicative of deception, I, and we need to get away from that because. Because we do a disservice to ourselves and to others. I I think it's been too easy to say, well, I think you're lying. Well, why do you think that? Oh, because I asked you a question and you were touching your mouth. Well, the fact of the matter is both the honest and the dishonest do it. And we do it because maybe we don't like the question. We think the question is too intrusive. Maybe we think that you are not entitled to ask that question because of uh, social status or, or whatever. There's uh, what I found interesting in, in uh, doing an article for Psychology Today is I, I looked at the 261 DNA exonerations. And as I delved deep and I contacted the people that had done the research, looked at the, the, the casework of the police officers, every one of them thought that uh, the suspects were guilty and, and lying when they, said, when they said they didn't do it. What's interesting is not one police officer could identify who was telling the truth, but they all thought they could identify somebody that was lying. And what does that tell us? Tell, what, it, what it tells us is that, um, as Paul Ekman found in, in 1986, Humans are terrible at detecting deception. We, we really shouldn't be in the business of detecting deception. Now, so what is it that we're looking for? Well, what's interesting is, is that humans are actually very good at detecting when something is wrong, when there's an issue. The question is, we don't know why. Babies are born communicating comfort and discomfort. Uh, we humans immediately reveal uh, discomfort through our bodies whether it's a heightened uh, heart rate, a pulsing vein, uh, pacifying behaviors. But what we don't know is the why. And and, uh, if I can tell you an FBI story, I I worked mostly counterintelligence, and uh, we were short of uh, personnel one time, and I was asked to do an interview of a white-collar criminal. This woman is called in, and uh, usually we spend the first 20, 30 minutes getting people to calm down because, obviously, when you get called in by the FBI, it's pretty nerve-wracking. But as I'm talking to, uh, to, to this lady, she seems to be demonstrating more and more behaviors of nervousness and tension 
Um, you know, she's biting her lip. She's grabbing her collar. She's uh, squeezing her hands together. And finally, I, I, I said, ma'am, you know, I, I'm thinking to myself, uh, Joe, you're the, the bureau's expert on mm-hmm. body language. Surely you know what's going on here. So I so I thought I'd cut to the chase. And, and this is a lesson in humility. And I, and I said, ma'am, you, you look like you need to get something off your chest. And she says, oh, thank God, Mr. Navarro, because when I parked downstairs, I only had a quarter in the meter. <laughs> <laughs> and so here were all the behaviors of <laughs> nervousness and tension and anxiety. But what was the cause? The, the cause was she didn't want to get a ticket, didn't want to uh, have to pay a fine. And as it turns out, somebody had stolen her identity and filed some bogus uh, um, uh, claims, insurance claims. And that's why she was uh, being called in. And it was a, a, a it really taught me a lesson about humility and, and saying, you know what? All we can really say is that I'm seeing behaviors. They're indicative of psychological discomfort. The question is, what's driving that? Yeah. And then what's interesting is like some people can can just be anxious, you know, in, in general, I, I imagine. Like that is sort of who, who they are all the time and they're just not that comfortable in their own skin or, or talking to other people or talking to strangers or talking to official people like judges and FBI agents. Like, Oh, sure. Yeah. Look, uh, and not even nervousness. There's people that don't like to make eye contact that really feel uncomfortable being questioned and, and so forth. And so the investigator has to look at that and say, all right, who am I dealing with? What are the baseline behaviors? And then if they do notice behaviors, I mean, if, if you ask somebody, where were you last night? And if a question like that causes them to look like they're do- doing trigonometry, the question then becomes, why does a simple question cause so much mental turpitude? Mm-hmm. Uh, why is there so much uh, cognitive uh, loading going on? But then that's for the investigator to, to, to figure it out. You know, as, as an agent, I, I can tell you that um, no matter what people said, we always had to prove what they said. And so it was a matter of, you know, if I asked a question, how did they react to that question? And no matter what their reaction was, I needed to pursue it anyway. So right. Although what's what's cool though is is with that those thirty two names because you got an indicator, you were able to you know really accelerate that hypothesis. Like we have a good reason to suspect these are the two to go after rather than right going well, through it, all thirty two. <laughs> well, it's it's because uh, it, it, it's because I understood that when. When an object or a name or something is a threat to you, that you react to it. Now, what was important was not to give any indication of, you know, that any one of these individuals was any more special than the others. Mm -hmm. It was just a matter of what can you tell me about their personalities and then watching for, uh, for, for the reactions. And then we look and we lucked out with that. Now, you know, if the two men hadn't confessed, uh, you know, certainly we couldn't go to court and say, well, judge, uh, you know, we think they're guilty because uh, this guy uh, blinked. Uh, it doesn't work that way. Yeah. In the same way that when a child comes home and um, or, or a spouse comes home and, and they're having some sort of difficulty, 
maybe it doesn't help to ask any more questions at that moment. Maybe it helps to delay it to another time. So when they're relaxed, you get a better read to find out, oh, is somebody bullying you at work or at school or, or somewhere else? That's good. Okay. So, so that being established in, in terms of, you know, it's, it, it's hard to know whether someone's lying or deception, but rather you just kind of get a sense for you know, what's causing discomfort. I'd love to hear out of the, the 400-ish behaviors, you know, what are, are some of those that are, are kind of like the most reliable? Like, you know, Pete, over 90% of the time when I see this behavior, it tends to mean that thing. And I remember from what everybody is saying, you had some things to say about feet and how it's absurd that in interrogation rooms, there are opaque desks and they need to be transparent so that we could observe the feet. I was like, this is a guy who uh, speaks from experience because uh, I've never seen anyone or heard anyone go on a rant quite like that. So I, I dug that. So so tell me, is it the feet or, or what are some of the, 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 the most reliable telltale things to look toward? Well, actually, one of them you just did. And, uh, and Uh-oh. It's, uh, you, you did uh, what's called eyelid flutter. Oh boy. What's and, it mean? And, and, well, eyelid, <laughs> well, eyelid flutter we do when we are emphasizing something, when we feel negative about something, mm. when we're uh, flustered by something and you were channeling me there, uh, quite accurately. Oh, thank uh, you. You know, when I wrote about interviewing and how you're a paid observer and, and here you're sitting in for an interview. And the person's hiding behind a desk and you cannot even see their feet or their hands or their torso. And it's like, I cannot believe that you as a professional <laughs> not see the object of the interview and they're hiding behaviors that are, that are critical. Well, as you were channeling that, your eye, you did the, the eyelid flutter. Eyelid flutter is very accurate when we're struggling uh, uh, with something. But you mentioned the feet and... Uh, uh, I think this was one of the things that was uh, that was astonishing, and and there's a there's a really good section in in the uh, in the new book, the Dictionary of Body Language, dealing with the feet, because I got so many questions over the years after I wrote that of people saying, "Well, is there anything more about uh, about the feet?" and um, <laughs> and I and I said the, the feet are very accurate because they reveal our emotions. And we tend not to uh, to hide them in the same way that we might do a social smile. Mm-hmm. The, the feet, the feet. If they don't like you, uh, if or if you don't like someone, your feet will move you away from that person. You will immediately rotate away. If you're excited and, and happy to see someone, you can hide a smile. But um, try to hide the feet of a child. Uh, I, I was just at the airport the other day, and a, a little kid arrived with a family. They're going to, to Disney. And every time the mother mentioned Disney World, the, the, the child's feet were jumping up and down. <laughs> she had happy feet. Well, you, you, you can't hide that. And even with adults, uh, uh, poker players soon found out that you can see the... Um, the, the happy feet of a player that has a monster hand, 
just by the, the shirt shaking. So, uh, <laughs> so the, the the feet certainly has a lot of information. But you know, you were talking about well, w- what are some of the m- more accurate, significant ones? There's another one that you do, which is great, and it's the uh, gravity-defying behaviors of the uh, the eyebrows. Hmm. And when you, yeah, have, I just uh, did that before, <laughs> before yeah. you at the first. Well, we don't have the video for the for the listeners, and, it, and it's it's fun that you you started with the video, and uh, it should have occurred to me, of course, he wants the video, <laughs> the video. but well, yeah, because, it, because it's very instructive. Yeah. And- and you, you you can see how excited you are about things because you arch your eyebrows and you go, well, what about this and what about that? And think about the times when you greet somebody and uh, they arch their, their, they flash their eyebrows and they go, hey, how are you? And compare that to other times when you greet someone, but you don't have those behaviors and you realize, oh, that, that just doesn't feel the same. It, they, uh, you know, there's there's something going on here. And I often get this with um, when um, I've taught many um, clinicians over the years and they say, you know, uh, a lot of times these, these couples come in and they say, well, I had no clue that uh, she didn't love me anymore or he didn't love me anymore. And I, I say, stop right there. there. There were plenty of clues. You just didn't see them. You just didn't see them. You didn't see the eyes that never flash when they see you. You never saw that two years ago, you know, she was touching you with her fingertips rather than with her full palm hand. You didn't notice that rather than smiling at you, it was more of a little smirk and the corner of her mouth was pinched, which shows disdain and and so forth. And I said, there's always uh, behaviors there. Oh, that's so sad. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it is, but but the argument that I I never saw it coming. Yeah, and you know, and one of the important things I really believe, Pete, is that if we're sensitive to other people's body language, we make better friends and better mates because we early on can begin to sense, oh, there's an issue, something is wrong. I mean, to wait for something six months, two years on is is sometimes too late. I think if you begin to sense that, oh, uh, my partner, you know, she's bored watching TV another night. And when I mention going out, you know, her eyes light up. Well, you know, that's a clue. Let's, you know, and so in the same way that as parents, we, we look at the baby for every single little sign of a smile, of, of any kind of discomfort, because we transmit information fairly much in a binary fashion, comfort, discomfort. The same thing applies in, in real life. And so, uh, you know, that's part of having that, that social intelligence, but it's also about equity, what we bring to the table as a partner and as a parent to ensure that uh, that those we love are are cared for that's powerful yes and it's funny i'm, I'm thinking about my buddy muhammad who's going to be on the show a, a little later it's exciting and and that is one i always feel very uh, i don't know i guess welcomed or, or or liked appreciated when when he greets me because his his eyebrows really do do that and i guess i have not articulated or thought of that specifically until we really got precise about that fact just now. So, so that's intriguing. And then, okay, so we, we got, we got some feet, we got 
the uh, eyelid flutter. We got the arching and lifting of, of eyebrows for excitement. Uh, what are some other big ones? Yeah, so let me give you one that is just a remarkable behavior. And it really stands out with women, in part because oftentimes, yeah, their necks are more exposed than men because uh, we tend to wear shirts that have high collars or we wear a tie and a coat or, or a, a, and so forth. And women have uh, more of an open um, uh, neck. And the behavior is covering of uh, the lower neck area. There's a little dimple there called the suprasternal notch. And the suprasternal notch is, is just above the sternum. And that's why it's called the uh, yep, suprasternal. Okay, yeah. And invariably, when someone is struggling with something, having difficulties, is insecure, there's uh, a little bit of fear, they will immediately bring their hand up and cover this, uh, this very sensitive uh, area of the neck. Now, men, we tend to mask it by grabbing our necks more robustly and grabbing our shirts. Women tend to just put their, their finger on it. And, and in fact, just the other day, in fact, I think the day I, I, we talked or uh, we emailed each other, there was a, uh, an attack on, the, um, on a speech that was being given in Venezuela, uh, on the president of Venezuela. And, uh, and it was a drone attack of, of some sort. And uh, while all the soldiers stood there at attention, being mindful of, of their duty, the, uh, the first lady, as soon as she sensed that something was wrong, her hand immediately went to the, uh, the supersternal notch to, to, to cover it. This is a very ancient behavior. This has to have been with us for tens and tens of thousands uh, of years maybe even uh, longer, uh, because it's seen in every society, it's been seen in every culture, and uh, interestingly enough, it's been seen even with children who are born blind, who have never, who have never seen the behavior, and yet they perform this, this behavior when they feel threatened or, or scared. I, I would say it's one of those behaviors that is probably in the 95 to 96 percentile of saying, um, communicating that something is wrong. Mm -hmm. well, that's a good one. That's a good one. Well, any, any other sort of top, top uh, probability items come to mind? Yeah, I one of the ones that I uh, that I talk about uh, in, in the in the new book is um, has to do with what is in essence a reserved behavior. And reserved behaviors are those behaviors that we really hold back until something is really stressing us, and then they come out. So we don't, we don't tend to do them every day, but every once in a while when something is, is really bad. And one of those reserved behaviors is with the fingers. Now, in, uh, in the previous book, I talked about steepling, and that's where you put your fingertips together and, um, and you straighten them uh, up. And uh, it looks like a church steeple. It makes this you think is, of an evil genius. You know, right. You know. <laughs> Mr. Like Mr. Burns. <laughs> Excellent, <laughs> Joe. <laughs> but this behavior is very similar, except that the fingers are rigid, straight, and they interlace. And the person sort of rubs them back and forth with very straight fingers. 
And I started to see this behavior probably in the 80s with people in inter- uh, you know, who were going to be interviewed, people who were in trouble. But I also verified it by looking at uh, these very old videos. Um, they, they weren't even videos. They were uh, 35 millimeter uh, movies from the 1950s of couples in therapy. And uh, one of the things that I found was that when they were about ready to say, look, you know, this relationship is over, they uh, would often do this uh, behavior. And I call it TP, uh, TP hands because when they interlace and the fingers are straight, if you were to hold it right in front of you, it looks like the top of a teepee with the poles uh, uh, sticking out. And I, I, I tell parents, look, if you're talking to a child and, and they start to do this behavior because they do it subconsciously, you know, put your iPhone away and pay attention because uh, something is significant here. This is a reserve uh, behavior. We have another reserve behavior, which is um, kind of interesting. And I hadn't written about it before, uh, but, but it's, in the, it's in the new uh, dictionary uh, of body language. And that's called facial denting. And facial denting is, uh, you often see this at sporting events where the score is really close and you'll see people squeeze uh, um, their cheeks to the point where as you look at them, you say, surely that's got to hurt. <laughs> Pop a tooth. And they're squeezing themselves so tight. And um, that's one of those reserved behaviors for uh, when we're dealing with a lot of stress and we don't know what the outcome is going to be. Now, why we do that, it hasn't really been very well studied. And I'm hoping, one of the things uh, that I'm hoping, you know, you were asking me earlier, what, what are some of my hopes for this, for this book? My hope is that researchers will look at it and say, okay, so here are things that this FBI guy over 40 years picked up by watching people. Let's go and test it. Let's go and verify it. Let's go validate it. I, I hope they they tear into it and they try to demonstrate that it's universal or not universal, that it's, uh, it's peculiar to uh, this area of the world or that world, or that it's used when we're stressed or unstressed or whatever. But I'm hoping that the average person can use it to learn but I'm also help, hoping that the researchers will look at things that they've uh, they've never looked at before. Yeah, well, that's that's really cool. And, and just to note that if you're if you're seeing the the TPing or the the facial denting, that uh, we're we're dealing with something serious here. And yeah. it's it's funny. I, I could think of a buddy who uh, <laughs> everything was going wrong on his wedding day. In terms of like things coming together and, and you know, hoops, so-and-so didn't pick up his tux and this person's late and he's getting all these texts. Uh, so it was, it was a lot of th- stuff and, and he was sure doing some good squeezing there. And, um, that, that all makes sense that, that it was intensely troublesome for him, but it, it all worked out. They got married, they're happy and it's good. Yeah. So that's cool. Well, I'd love to hear maybe precisely or, or more specifically when it comes to in, in the world of, of professionals in their day-to-day job career lives, what do you think are some of the most helpful things to be on the lookout for in terms of what you're observing or what you're projecting? And I, I'm thinking about things like maybe 
someone is bored or or thinks that yeah. idea is wrong and just a terrible because uh, I think that happens a lot in meetings. Like someone says something and someone thinks that is a terribly bad idea, but they don't say anything <laughs> no. because they want to stick their neck out. That's the big boss. They they, they don't want to you know yeah. offend or insult. Are there any indicators along those lines or other helpful kind of career sure. scenarios? Well, I'm glad you asked that question because it's really a, a good question. And I, I would have to say, number one, if you're taking notes, write this one down. We are always transmitting information. And a lot of people think, oh, I'm in the parking lot. Nobody's going to notice me. Or I'm in the elevator. Nobody's going to notice me. Or I'm sitting outside for an interview. Nobody's noticing me. Or I'm at the end of the table. No one's going to notice me. Stop right there. Welcome back to planet Earth. No. <laughs> the, the fact of the matter is that you are being observed constantly, and people are picking up on everything. Let's, let's go through a, through, through a few of the things that you probably never thought about. Good manners. Manners are nonverbals, right? If you... Yeah, I mean, if you see a piece of paper on the floor and you pick it up and you put it in the garbage can, that is a behavior. That You don't have to talk uh, to, to, to do that one. How you talk to people, your intonation, how quickly you respond. Do you face them or do you roll your eyes before you uh, answer them and so forth? So good manners is a nonverbal. And the fact of the matter is, is that we're all being scrutinized. People look at us and they notice how well-groomed we are. Walk into an office and change your haircut. And people will you got a different haircut. And, and you probably have gone through your life thinking, nobody notices me. No, everybody notices. They notice if you're wearing glasses, they're, wearing if, if they're noticing if you wear new glasses, if you change your hairdo, your color, if you're not well-groomed, if, if all of a sudden you've gone from really nice clothing to really tattered mm -hmm. clothing, they notice. They're noticing the and, wrinkles in my polo shirts, Joe. <laughs> Don't you start ironing these things? Yeah. And so, and so it makes you think, you know, Shakespeare was right. We, life is theater and we're on stage. And for a lot of jobs, it, how we look may not matter. But the fact of the matter is that for a lot of jobs, it does matter. It, it matters how we, as, as clinicians say, how we present. Uh, are we on time? Are we eager? Are we leaning forward? Are we interested Something so simple, you know, we were talking earlier about great uh, uh, behaviors. Here's, here's one behavior that you need to build into your repertoire. And that's when people are talking to you that you tilt your head slightly. Because we know that from a very young age, babies respond to this. And it's a behavior that says, I'm listening to you. I'm interested. I don't have an agenda for the moment. And I'm actively uh, listening. And it's a very easy behavior to, um, to emulate, and especially with, with children and loved ones. You know, I, I live in a community uh, not far from uh, uh, Central Command where there's a lot of Navy SEALs. And, uh, you know, the, these guys have great bodies. I mean, uh, they're, they're, I mean they're, they're, they're like world-class athletes. But I notice how they talk. Uh, even to their spouses, and they look like drill sergeants, and it's like they can't stand down. And 
And I think one of the things that uh, enhances communication, especially with loved ones, is if we can stand down and relax and, uh, and tilt that head and, and just say, I'm listening and uh, tell me about your day and not look like we're looking for the, the next uh, marching orders. And I have to say, a lot of, a lot of executives come home and, uh, and do the same thing. They have that very stern, uh, I'm in charge sort of look. And we know that humans respond to, uh, to that look of, uh, of interest and, and, uh, and kindness. Yeah, so, so interest, kindness, kind of letting go and not being in charge, tilting the head. Any other kind of indicators of I'm listening, I'm interested, I'm not bored, I'm not formulating a response, I'm not getting yeah. my argument ready? Yeah, I th- you know, I'm on the road all the time and I'm giving presentations all over the world. And so you're running, you know, one day you're, you're in Germany, the next day you're in Romania, and then you're back in Chicago, and then you're on the West Coast and you're, you're talking to people in Beijing. You're talking to people from all, all over the world. And what's interesting is, is what seafarers found 400, 500 years ago, that affability, having a smile. One of the things that works really well, and I encourage uh, young business people to do this, is don't feel like you have to stand directly in front of another person. That, in fact, we tend to increase the amount of time we are with others if we will just slightly angle to them so that we're not directly in front of them. We're just at a slight angle to them. And by angling, we increase what's called face time. And obviously, for business, this is really critical is increasing face time. And so I, I have found this works in every culture, uh, j- wherever I, I've been, instead of just standing right in front of them, I, you greet them, you angle to the side, and there's a, uh, a, a sense of, 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 of harmony. And um, we, we have to remember that when, when the conquistadores arrived in the new world, they saw the same behaviors here that they had seen in Queen Isabella's court. Mm-hmm. The king had better clothing. He sat higher. He had an entourage. He couldn't be touched, blah, blah, blah. Everything that in Queen Isabella's court. So these are universal things that are endearing, such as you know giving people the, the requisite amount of space. In fact, I just wrote an article about that for Psychology Today because I go around uh, asking uh, folks, how far away do you like people to stand uh, near you? And it's and it's kind of shocking to listen to what they say. And it's always greater than where people are standing next to them. <laughs> uh, it, you know, it, it, and they say, um, you know, three to four feet, and some people want even even more. So be say be sensitive to the spatial needs of, of other people that some people just don't like others to be uh to be too close you know and and be yourself be natural not everybody's gonna be an alpha there will always be omegas there's a place for 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 everybody but also you know be mindful that if you have something important that you should be heard and um one of the things I, I notice a lot with uh, especially with young women coming into to into business is that often they they sit rather demure at their seat and uh, and then almost the, the meeting is over and they don't have an opportunity to, to talk and it's and oftentimes they're not giving away the cues 
that say, I have something uh, important to say. And those things are, instead of leaning back, leaning forward and in, uh, when you have something ready to, to say, making uh, direct eye contact with the person that is either presently speaking or is the, uh, the, the, uh, the uh, moderator to let them know, hey, I have something to say. And the other one is not steepling. You know, steepling, and that's where the fingertips are together, is the really the only universal sign that we have of confidence, that we're confident about what we're thinking or, or about to say. And I so think we should, we should not steeple. No, we should when, when we have something important to say. You don't want to do it all the time. And what I found in, in my studies was that oftentimes women will do it low on their lap or at, you know, not very high, when in fact they should do it so it's visible, so that it communicates to everybody, this is important, and I'm very confident that at the, this moment. Look at Angela Merkel the, um, uh, over in the UK, or in Germany, sorry, and she steeples all the time. But, then, <laughs> but you know, she, is a, she has a doctorate in engineering, and she is very confident, and so you, you see those... Uh, those behaviors, and I, you know, we used to see them also with Margaret, uh, uh, Margaret Thatcher, and uh, and and others. So it, it's a, a behavior you want to emulate. You want to use it at the right time in the right place, but you also need to communicate. I want to be heard, and so those are uh, some, I think, uh, good uh, good indicators there. Oh, beautiful! Thank you. Well, now tell me, Joe, anything else you really want to make sure to mention before we shift gears and hear about some of your favorite things? <laughs> yeah, you know, I think one of the important things about body language is that I continue to be a student of it. You know, I'd, I'd like to one day be able to say, yeah, I have the definitive expertise and I, I'm reluctant to do that. Because I'm learning things all the time. I'm observing things all the time. I think it behooves us to, to learn this language that uh, is so part of us as uh, humans. And it's the primary way that we demonstrate love and empathy. And that's pretty important. It's also the way that we sense and detect danger, right? We're at an ATM machine. We're looking over our shoulder. It's late at night. We're looking for somebody sneaking up on us. And it's parse, It's the number one way that we choose our mates. We, you know, we don't ask for a resume. Um, we, you know, we look at them, we smell them, we touch them, we, um, we watch them, and we make decisions based on uh, on nonverbal. So, a lot of people think, well, it's, you know, is it really that important? Well, I can't think of anything more important than safety, child. Child rearing and uh, and uh, mate selection that uh, that pretty much hits it out of the park. Oh, well said. Thank you. Well, now could you share with us a favorite quote, something that you find inspiring? Yeah, I think one of my favorite quotes, and I, I know a lot of people will hear this uh, who have been to my seminars, and it's um, and I'm I'm going to paraphrase, but um, it um, it comes to us from uh, Carl Sagan. And uh, Carl Sagan, uh, the cosmologist, uh, you know, absolutely brilliant, taken from us at too early of an age. But he, he said, you know, we, we're really not who we think we are. But if you were to ask, what are we? Is we're, we're the sum total of our influence on others. And I think it's very true. 
you yourself with your podcast, sharing knowledge, sharing ideas, that's influential. And, uh, and I look at, at, at the people that have influenced me in life, and I think, what was it that was great about it? Is it could they build something? Could they do this? Uh, yeah, we, we, we love people that are skilled with a craft, but we're mostly influenced by those that are influential. And they, and they do that by how they live their lives. Excellent. Thank you. And how about a favorite study or experiment or a bit of research? One of my favorite ones came out a few months ago, and, uh, and it, it just goes to show how sensitive we humans are to the smallest of little details. So they grab somebody and they uh, put a green sweater on them, uh, and they said, go out and, and ask for favors. And, uh, and they did. And then they, they, they took the same person and they, on the sweater, they put the logo of a high-end clothing manufacturer. And it was only a half an inch logo. And they sent them out to, to, to go and ask people for favors. Like, can, can I use your phone? Can I park here? Can I come inside? And all this stuff. So the times when he wore the logo uh, 52, 53% of the people agreed to help out when he didn't wear the logo, only 13%. Oh my gosh. Wow. So what is it? What does that tell us? Uh, tells what that tells social scientists. And I've done this experiment, interestingly enough, with, with people just wearing, uh, beach shoes, flip-flops, ones that cost a dollar 99 and then ones that were, uh, from a famous, uh, manufacturer. So they're still flip flops, both, still, but just different, still, yeah, but different manufacturer. Yeah. And invariably, in my non-scientific study, those that wore the the nicer uh, got better treatment. What, what does that tell us? That anthropologists and uh, biologists would say, look, we're primates, and uh, we're very sensitive to hierarchy. And we will always be sensitive to hierarchy and the markers of, well, who is the alpha, who's the silverback, and who is everybody else. And we cannot escape that. Well, that's powerful. Thank you. And how about a favorite book? My favorite writer is uh, Steinbeck, so Grapes of Wrath. But the, the one book that I return to over and over and over again is uh, The Histories by Herodotus. Mm. Uh, it's the only book that I've actually read six times. Here's the father of history writing 2,500 years ago, and he's telling us about the world as it existed then. It's just uh, exquisite in its its, uh, breadth. Mm -hmm. And how about a favorite habit? Favorite habit, it it has to be uh, going out for a walk uh, with with my family at night. yeah, I love them dearly. I, uh, my wife, uh, my dog, and uh, I, I just uh, I enjoy their company. And is there a particular nugget you share that really seems to connect and resonate? That folks, you know, retweet it, they quote it back to you often. They, yeah, there's one in particular. Uh, I'm glad you asked that. And and I I put it out there many many years ago when I first started on on Twitter, and I didn't know it would become that significant. And it's someone uh, told me that it it may have been. Uh, not not necessarily borrowed, but it's a it's a variant of what somebody else ha- had said, and it it probably is since there's nothing uh, new under the sun. But, uh, but basically, what it it says is that what we do in private 
when nobody is is watching us uh, is is important more important than than we're in public, and that when we help those who can do absolutely can do nothing for us, that is the true measure of uh, of our humanity because there is no expectation of uh, of uh, any kind of reward, and for some reason that seemed to resonate with a lot of people. And, and Joe, if folks want to learn more, get in touch, where would you point them? Very easily. Uh, my website, jnforensics.com. Uh, my books are uh, all the major retailers. Uh, certainly, they're available on uh, on Amazon, or they can come to your website. Mm-hmm. Sure thing. <laughs> Look there. And do you have a final challenge or call to action that you issue to folks who are seeking to be awesome at their jobs? I do. Become better observers, and you'll become better humans. You, you cannot attend to others if you can't observe them. And um, I think most of us know how to look, but very few of us know how to observe. Awesome. Well, Joe, this has been such a treat. Thank you for, for taking this time, and, and good luck with the Dictionary of Body Language and, and all that you're up to here. Well, thank you, Pete. It's a, it's a, a pleasure and an honor to, uh, to be on, a, on your show. Really appreciate that wisdom from Joe, and I really appreciate our sponsors. Check them out. I really love what Joe had to say about your body language conveying manners and how if you tilt the head and if you let your eyebrows lift, it shows your interest. And it was cool that he called out that I'm showing great interest in what he had to say. And it's true, I was. It's proof. The the FBI interrogator uh, said that he saw interest on my face when I was interviewing him. So I'm glad that comes through, you know, from the, the body language that you don't normally get to see and hopefully also with the voice that um, I'm digging the stuff and I hope you're digging it too and finding it enriching. And and so with that that manners perspective, how you can become all the more likable and polite and kind and generous just by making an effort to do those little things of the the leaning and the eyebrow lifting. And what struck me is I realize often I don't do that, especially like in a meeting environment. If it's one-on-one, usually I, I do. But if it's it's sort of like a broad meeting, a speaker is is sharing their perspective, you know, their take, their presentation. And I'm just thinking really hard about all the implications and possibilities and potential optimal solutions and hacks and quick tricks and tactics that might make whatever we're working on go better to just get it all optimized. And so that's sort of where my brain is going. And in the process of thinking really hard, my face really isn't a kind and friendly and supportive in those sort of polite ways that Joe mentioned. So that was helpful for me, especially if a speaker is nervous or you know, have not yet built a, a good, strong relationship and rapport. I'd probably really appreciate it to, to convey that with my face to the person speaking in a meeting and maybe do my intense scheming thoughts a little bit later. So what's more, if you want to check out the show notes or the transcript or the links to items we've referenced, it's over to awesomeatyourjob.com slash F341. And if you haven't already, I hope you'll push the subscribe button to hear from our next guest. It's Tom Hefner. Tom has a genius job working for a government applied physics laboratory and he's applying design thinking and doing some real cool creative innovation stuff in real life. Peace. Thanks for joining us for today's episode. To get the most out of this conversation, visit awesomeatyourjob.com to find today's show notes, transcript, and infographic summary cheat sheet. For more entertaining professional skill sharpening, be sure to subscribe to catch the next episode of How to Be Awesome at Your Job.